And welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 97. I'm your host, Connor Ryan. Riding solo this week, uh, my good friend, esteemed colleague, Evan Marinovsky, is down in Atlanta. So unfortunately, you just stuck with me. Uh, thankfully, uh, there isn't a whole lot to report uh, in terms of Bruins news right now. Uh, you know, usually there's a little bit of a lull uh, once breakup day ends. You're kind of in that no man's land right now. And the Bruins are in kind of a weird spot because... You know, if you're out in the first round, you got a whole lot of downtime and the Bruins uh, are kind of stuck in that right now. So as much as I think people were looking for another shoe to drop, whether that's uh, some clarity on Patrice Bergeron's future, which there isn't any right now. I imagine you're not going to hear anything until probably the Stanley Cup uh, is awarded, um, whether it be uh, Don Sweeney and whether you're expecting an extension, which would seem to be like the logical next step. I mean, Kim Neely more or less uh, mapped it out before in terms of that they're working on extension. So nothing on that yet, even though you have to imagine that's kind of right around the block. And then obviously the situation with Bruce Cassidy himself in terms of uh, whether or not you're looking at uh, them making a change, uh, whether it's, you know, is it an assistant coach or someone getting let go? Uh, so no clarity at all on any of those things yet. Maybe we have to wait a few more weeks until, uh, you know, the, the postseason ends or what the Bruins end up doing. But uh, so all things considered, it's pretty good timing that uh, I'm riding solo for this podcast while Evan is down in lovely Georgia. So uh, looking at this week, I figured uh, this would kind of be the perfect time with a solo show to hold an audio mailbag. So I uh, reached out on the Twitter sphere uh, to all the lovely people on social media and asked for all of your questions related to the Bruins, the NHL, and of course, people couldn't help themselves. Some other questions that had nothing to do uh, with, with the Bruins or hockey in general. So I guess Evan and I were kind of asking for it because we talked about Ba Rescue on the latest episode of Bruins Beat, which again, guys, it's the offseason. Isn't a whole lot to talk about right now. And believe me, when we get into July and August, that's when we'll talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois and Mark Scheifele and Fabian Lysel and all the the buzzwords, I guess that uh, you're gonna get to you're gonna get used to in terms of looking at this offseason, what the Bruins might end up doing, whether it's rebuilding, retooling, running it back with the same core. Plenty of options, a lot to talk about. So let, let's ease into it a little bit this week by just going through uh, some mailbag questions. So thankfully, we got a whole bunch of them. Uh, so thank you to everyone who sent in a question. And uh, without further ado, let's dive in. So uh, the first question is from Ashley Massey, who uh, has a couple of them for us. But the first one, is is there a math formula to figuring out buyout contracts? Just so happens, Ashley, there is. And as much as it's very easy uh, for me or Evan, I'm sure anyone else when it comes to, you know, looking at the contracts to just go to uh, Cap Friendly or any any of the other great websites out there, there is a set formula if you want to do it yourself. And essentially, uh, the cost is either a third or two-thirds of the remaining salary averaged out over twice as many years that were left on the contract. And how it's kind of mapped out in terms of the one-third to two-third is pretty much the age of the player at the time of the buyout. So if they're under 26, they get a third. If they're 26 or older, they get two-thirds. So essentially, it's more incentive if, let's say, it's an older player um, who's maybe past his prime or is in a contract that the team wants to move on from. An older player that's kind of paid his dues, has been tenured in the league for a long time, he's going to get a lot more of that payout um, that's coming his way as opposed to maybe a guy who's under 26 and whether it's 
you know, flamed out early or something's gone wrong, um, they get less of that financial uh, payback back in terms of if they get bought out. So, for example, obviously, I think when people talk about buyouts for the Bruins, the one guy that kind of comes to mind is Nick Foligno. So uh, if you were to buy him out uh, this upcoming season, he's due one year left at $3.8 million. Essentially, they buy him out. They pay $1.9 million against the cap this year. So you save about two-ish million, which is a pretty good split for the Bruins. And then the next year, Bruins pretty much have about $933,000 uh, of a cap hit carried over. So all things considered, of course, the Bruins will, one, you know, maybe they want to keep Felino and hope he, uh, you know, reclaims his value. I don't see that really happening. Um, you'd ideally like to maybe trade him for something, but I don't think that's going to happen either because, uh, I mean, two goals in 64 games for that $3.8 million cap hit. I don't see them trading him because at that, in that point, you're going to be giving up uh, another sweetener in order to get that contract off the books. So whether it's you're lumping in a third round pick or a second round pick or a prospect or two, Bruins need to stop doing that, right? Like we've seen that before a couple of times already with them giving up assets, draft capital to move contracts. So considering the math kind of more or less works out for the Bruins here uh, in terms of a bio for Felino, I could see that being the route they end up taking. Uh, another question from Ashley. Um, who do you think comes in at one and two C and makes a difference? Uh, well, obviously the Bruins probably preferred route would be Patrice Bergeron and probably David Krejci uh, as much as people. I think I, I've mentioned that a couple of times in some of our, uh, our stories uh, related to David Krejci on the BSJ website, but a lot of pushback, I think from people who are like, you're living in the past Connor. Like, and listen, I know David Krejci, he's going to be 36 next year. Uh, people can point to the fact that he did very well over in the Czech league, but it is the Czech league. Uh, but I think if you look at, if the Bruins are going into it with the expectation or the hope rather that uh, they can get Patrice Bergeron back, if you can get him back and you can get David Krejci back at affordable contracts, one, it allows you to potentially run it back. And again, you got bounced in the first one. I don't know if running it back is the apt term there, but at the very least, you should be competitive uh, once again next year. And what could be the last go around for this group? Uh, you look at kind of the rest of the core that you have in place with Jeremy Swayman and Charlie McAvoy, who both should be better. Um, I imagine if both those guys come back, there'll be other finagling, whether it's trades to relieve cap space, what have you, that Bruins will look to augment this core. Um, and, you know, potentially, is it signing another free agent? Is it trading for another impact player? Um, but if you're able to get Bergeron and Krejci back in the fold, it just makes things so much easier for the Bruins in terms of one, having a set game plan for next year, again, just for next year. And it gives you a little bit more time, I guess, is the most important thing because the Bruins don't really have a set plan right now. Again, they're kind of waiting for Bergeron to make his decision and then they're going to roll with the punches, I guess, as they go along uh, moving forward here. So if you're the Bruins and you can get Bergeron and Krejci back and, at the very least, be competitive. Gives you more time to let guys like Lysel, uh, Beecha, Lori, um, Brett Harrison, all these guys, another year to develop, whether that be at the NHL level, like maybe a guy like Lysel makes a makes a, a, a good impression in training camp, or guys like Harrison or Lori who should get another year of development in their respective leagues. Um, that stands as a, a good side effect of the Bruins being able to get Bergeron and Krejci back. Um, so I think that's the preferred option. However, uh, I think it's still up in the air what Bergeron ends up doing. And as much as 
it'd be a great narrative for David Krejci to come back. Nothing has, you know, signaled that, you know, he's made a, uh, a severe interest in, in returning. You know, he's mentioned a couple of times when he's over in Europe, Don Sweeney, obviously when his uh, end of season press conference mentioned that they'd love to have him back. I think they're kind of leaving the door open for him, but nothing set in stone yet. So if it's not those guys, uh, I imagine you're looking at outside help if you're the Bruins and kind of plugging in those holes wherever you can. Again, I don't think this is going to be a situation where if Bergeron retires and Krejci stays in the Czech Republic, that they're just going to go in willy nilly next year with like Charlie Coyle at one C and Hall at two C like that's not great. And if that happens, this franchise is in deep trouble. Like that's not, I think what they want to have happen. So whether that's, you know, trading contracts and freeing up cap room to sign a free agent, like a, you know, a Nazem Kadri or a, uh, Claude Giroux, uh, again, Vinny Trocek's a guy, but I don't know if whether or not he's a, a legit, you know, one, out of, he's not a one C, but is he like a very good two C or is he a serviceable two C and very good three C make the same argument with a guy like Andrew Kopp. Um, but those guys that are out there, uh, Malkin's a guy, or you're looking at maybe trading a guy, like if, you know, Shifley's available, or I think the guy that uh, I talked about a couple of times on the pod is Pierre-Luc Dubois, who restricted free agent, but if he's, um, expresses any willingness that he doesn't want to stay in Winnipeg, that should be a guy the Bruins should be all over in terms of legit top six potential, really young, 23. So he fits right in with this kind of next core, this next generation of Bruins uh, talent. And I think Bruins fans, if you watched any of them, whether it be in Columbus or in Winnipeg, uh, plays hard. He's a guy that I think Bruins fans would love to watch. Very physical. I think he's the one who uh, dropped Matt Grizzlick. I think back in January, they ended up dislocating Grizzlick's shoulder. So very physical guy, uh, a bit of a different dynamic there. And again, it's not Patrice Bergeron. He's a center. He's from Quebec, uh, but he's not the same player as Bergeron. But in terms of moving on and identifying kind of talent that you can plug in there and you retool this entire core and roster around, guy like Dubois is a building block that you can absolutely start building more of a foundation around. So I think those are going to be other options the Bruins look at. And uh, Ashley has another one. Uh, would the Bruins have anything to offer Dubois or Strom? Uh, so, yeah, I think definitely you look at, it's going to take a lot to get, especially Gallic like Dubois at his age and his talent. Um, as much as I think maybe he tanked some of his value a little bit during his final, uh, his final year in Columbus. I still think you're looking at uh, DeBrusque, um, you know, are you looking at maybe one of your expendable defensemen, like a, like a Riley? Uh, and then are you looking at sacrificing either draft capital or, or prospects? And again, that's not something that I think Bruins fans want to talk about, right? Because if this is kind of that next chapter, you don't want to keep on giving up first round picks or giving up key prospects. But if it's for someone like, let's say a Shifley, who's 29, uh, then I, I don't know how the, exactly that fits in with the timeline as being a sustainable cornerstone guy. I think Shifley's 29, um, great offensive player, but defensively uh, leaves a lot to be desired. I don't know if he fits into this structure or, or how the Bruins want to look at, you know, retooling things. And again, maybe Bruce Cassidy, or if there's another coach, um, looks at augmenting this team's, you know, structure, how they approach uh, kind of their day-to-day game plan. Uh, again, maybe there's more offense to be gained from switching things up, but I also don't think this seems going to be a running gun kind of team either. So I still think you need a, a defensively accountable at the very least guy, which Shifley really isn't. So I wouldn't give up like a, 
you know, your 2023 first round pick or uh, a blue chip prospect for him. But if it's a guy like Dubois, then you have to take a hard look at whether it's guys like Harrison. Are you looking at maybe a guy like Lori, which I think would, uh, you're only making that deal if you're getting Dubois signed to, I think, a long-term deal that fits in with this team's timeline. So those are kind of the tough calls you have to make. And it's a, a consequence, one of, uh, you know, primarily the fact that the Bruins haven't developed any center prospects. You know, it's, again, you hope that you had this pipeline of Bergeron and Krejci in place for a long time, and it's been great, but they weren't going to be around forever. And you've been, the writing's been on the wall for a while. This team needed to develop more centers. So if you end up getting Dubois, it's great. He's a guy that definitely kind of fits in with this next chapter, but it's going to cost a lot to get him. So it's definitely something the Bruins have to weigh if they do end up taking that route. All right. So the next question is from Paul Simino, and he says, how to fix next year's decor? Deal Grizz or Riley? The log jam of mediocrity is real. Well, yeah, I, I think you look at the the way this decor is set up, and I, I don't think the, the decor is going to get augmented as much as, let's say, maybe the forward core, where I think you've got quite a few guys you can offload or, or move or buy out. But I still think something's got to give, right? When you look at that, uh, especially that left side of the defense. Like, I don't, I don't know if the Bruins are going to go out and try to get a guy like Klingberg or, or try to spend a lot in free agency. Maybe like a depth guy, maybe a guy that gives you a little bit more size. But in terms of any big projects or big home run kind of swings, I don't see it coming on the defense. But that being said, you're right, Paul, that something's got to give in terms of Grizzly or Riley. Uh, if you ask me, I say probably Riley's the more logical fit in terms of being traded. Um, I think some of that's also a byproduct of the fact that as much as I think a guy like Matt Grizzlick has his detractors and it's true, like whether it's injuries or dealing with kind of that heavy four check that a lot of teams bring in the postseason, he struggled with it. That being said, if you're dealing Grizzlick now, uh, you're kind of selling him when his value is at his lowest, right? Like it's not only the fact that he had a tough year this year, he was dealing with injuries from pretty much January onward, the dislocated shoulder, which not fun to play through. Uh, you're also dealing with the fact that he's going to be going under the knife very shortly uh, for that offseason shoulder surgery. So if, if you're trading him right now, teams don't have the incentive to pay up big for a guy that, again, if he was healthy and playing like we've seen Grizzly play before, probably get you a pretty nice haul for a team that's looking for a guy that's an analytics dialing, uh, a great transition player. Again, maybe not a top pairing guy, but a guy that brings tons of value. So if I'm the Bruins, I'm probably holding on to Grizzlick, letting him get healthy and then slot him back in on that left side somewhere. Now that you have Lindholm, you don't have to make Grizzlick your, you know, set top pairing guy that you have to rely on heavily. But if he's healthy and playing his game, he's a valuable player for this team. So if uh, a guy like Riley, who, again, I think also has value, had a tough year this year where, again, when he plays to his strengths and plays to his game he's very effective but when it goes south i think for a guy like riley especially it blows up in a major way like any misread or or uh or field clear always seem to end up in the back of the net uh against the bruins so but if you're moving him for whether it's part of a, a package deal for a bigger player or even if you're just a pure cap dump and you're just wanting to get maybe draft capital back i think there's plenty of teams that would like to to acquire a guy like riley so i could see him being on the move um, all right. Next question is from Durwood says any word on Chara's future, uh, Durwood, nothing to report yet. Um, I have to imagine that, uh, you looked at kind of just how his season went with the Islanders, where again, his game is obviously taking another step back. Um, 
you kind of look at, I even was kind of surprised he played this past year because when he was uh, with the Capitals, especially at the end of the year and in the postseason, it was rough. It was, uh, he's, I mean, clearly not the same guy that Bruins fans are used to seeing for a long time, but even as a guy that, you know, could fit in as being an effective third pairing shutdown guy, uh, he's still kind of struggling at this point of his career. So the fact that I think he ended uh, that last game with the Islanders, go full circle with that team, scores that goal in his last game, gets a standing ovation at, at the Islanders' bond uh, over there on Long Island. It's would seem to be a, a fitting way to cap things out uh, for a guy that has, I think, proved a lot of people wrong with how long he's been able to play uh, with the amount of minutes and assignments and injuries and all these things that he's suffered over his career. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to uh, call it a career and uh, puts himself on the path for a Hall of Fame enshrinement in Toronto very, very soon. All right, let's see. Next one is from Alex uh, at Random Task 68. This is the handle. And Alex asks, does Sweeney get enough criticism for having to retain and or pot with valuable assets when offloading Bacchus, Bleski, and more? Ultimately contributed to the current weak prospect pool. It's definitely a valid criticism, Alex. Um, I think uh, when you look at kind of the big flaws with Sweeney, I think it's, we've talked about it countless times before, it's usually drafting or swinging uh, and missing on free agency. And you're right. I think a lot of the uh, issues with the Bruins lack of a, a strong farm system, at least over the last couple of years has been, you know, it's tough to ignore 2015, but even like 2017, uh, that draft, we had a lot of guys go right after Vak and Einan, um, whether it's like Rob Thomas, Erickson Eck, I think was right after that too. Guys that, what do you know, if you had, you didn't have to be giving up valuable assets for, let's say a guy like Dubois this off season. So again, swing and misses there. But I think you're right in that it may not be the the number one thing that's draining the prospect pool, but whether it's last uh, two years ago with, you know, getting that Kasha deal, which again, I was a big proponent of because I thought Kasha, if healthy, again, if healthy, was going to be a, a solid, you know, potential middle six, top six guy to put with next to David Krejci. But again, that was a little bit of a risk in that regard. And a lot of that, you know, process of that deal involves dumping David Bax's contract, a contract that you had to move to get any sort of flexibility. And even last year, this past season, right, where, again, the Bruins did a good job getting a guy like Lindholm and signing him to that extension where you have a legit top pairing guy out there now uh, to put next to Charlie McAvoy. But also you gave up extra you know, draft capital in order to get a guy in, uh, in order to move off John Moore's contract. And again, it's frustrating one that you had to, you know, give up another valuable, let's say a second round pick to add it on there to, to move that contract. But then you also didn't get another forward or something to, to use that extra cap space with, which is extra frustrating. So it's definitely something Alex, you're right in that as much as people talk about just the outright drafting or um, you know, swinging and missing on free agency. And again, trading first round picks, again, it, it's something that, in the grand scheme of things, if it helps you win or you're trying to be uh, contenders, there's a, a means to an end with that, right? You look at, again, look at Tampa Bay, who's given up first-round picks every single year, it seems like the last couple of years. Worked out pretty well for them, whether it's guys like Goudreau and Blake Coleman or even this past season now with guys like Brendan Hagel or Nick Paul. Works out pretty well, right? They've got 
Um, they've done a very good job in terms of, you know, using those draft picks to, to maximize this window they have. Bruins haven't, but there's a reason why they're, they're doing that in order to try to put this team over the top. But you're right in that signing those free agents not only impacts the team in terms of not having the right pieces in place, but then having to give up draft capital along the way really hurts this club uh, when a time comes to having that, those extra picks in the cupboard when it comes to drafting talent. All right, let's see. Uh, Phil G says, uh, in my opinion, they should buy out Felino. They will get about a million in cap relief. No one is taking that contract, right? Phil, you're right. I don't think anyone's taking that contract. Um, again, as I said earlier uh, with Ashley's question, um, as much as I think the Bruins would love to, you know, find a, a, a home for Felino and, and deal him, I just don't see a team doing that without, again, having a situation we just talked about where it's all right, a team, you know, let's say Arizona or any of these teams with plenty of cap space, Buffalo uh, would take him off their hands. They have the cap space to do it. And who knows, maybe on a younger team, a guy like Felino would be great in the room. And again, he's a guy that a lot of guys in that room love Felino and what he brings and the efforts there, but just in terms of the production doesn't just doesn't fit with what that contract is. But the thing is, if it's a team like Arizona or Buffalo, they're not taking that contract just willy nilly, right? They're, they're asking for whether it's a second or a third round pick, or, you know, maybe not a, a top prospect, but still a, a valuable guy that maybe you have in the system that you want to see develop further on. You don't want to just give it up just in order to get a contract off the books. So yeah, I think Phil, the most logical thing that happens there is that buyout contract. Not only do they uh, avoid having to give up draft capital, but again, you save about 2 million in, in cap relief this year. Um, if you buy him out in the next year, it's a marginal hit of just under, of under a million dollars there. So, um, if you ask me pretty safe bet that I think Nick Felino is, uh, is going to get, get probably bought out, uh, at some point this off season, speaking of safe bets, what better time to talk about our sponsor bet online, our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your bet needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's CLNS50. BetOnline, where the game Stats. I know somewhere like Evan is in a, a hotel room in Atlanta, just did the same thing. It's just it's like, a, it's like a telekinetic thing we got where the game starts. All right, moving on. Oh, geez. All right. Well, we have a question from a good friend, friend of the pod, Petrov McGuire, who asks uh, favorite dining playbook episode? Well, Petrov, uh, I mean, I think it's just a cruel question to ask because there's just so many great episodes. I, I can't possibly name just one of them. I mean, I will be doing this pod for, you know, about 50 minutes. The zoom was going to kick me off. If I have to like do a, an oral history on every single episode of the dining playbook that I enjoy. I mean, whether it's when they go to Marina Bay, go down the Cape. Uh, oh, when they go to Moody street. Uh, I mean, can't go wrong with anything on Moody street. Um, my personal favorite, I like when they go around town, like, you know, they go to Dorchester or something like that. Uh, the Bowery bar, they went there, show kind of the outdoor patio they have there. 
weather's getting a little bit warmer. Want to hit up a few patios, Bowery Bar. And again, how do I know about it? Great folks, Dining Playbook. So that's one that sticks to mind for me, uh, Petrov. So thank you for the completely on-topic question uh, related to the Bruins of the NHL. As always, we appreciate you. Now, moving on uh, to at Possible Bees fan. Possible Bees fan. Would you like to see Krejci come back for a season, possibly playing with Pasta? Uh, I think if you're the Bruins, yes, you would absolutely love to have uh, David Krejci back in the fold. Not only do you have a top six center who, again, He's a year older. He's been over in the Czech league, but I still think uh, the way David Krejci plays, he's a guy that it's not like he relies on speed or a shot or anything to generate his offense. It's for him. It's always been about kind of slowing down the pace. Uh, you know, his vision on the ice his playmaking ability, that's not going away anytime soon. So I think if you're the Bruins, you'd love to have him back, especially as uh, as you noted, possible bees fan. If he's with uh, David Pasternak, which might be a pretty good incentive for him to come back, he's got at long last that like proven sniper, the guy that gives you 40 plus goals on a regular season um, on his right side. Add in the fact that you have Taylor Hall on the left. It just seems to be a, a, a pretty good situation if you're David Krejci and you want to come back and the pitch the Bruins can offer him. So uh, I, I think definitely it's it's one thing as if, you know, both – uh, Bergeron and Krejci are gone. Um, that's quite a bit to tackle in one off season. If you have to one, try to find a one C and a two C. And I know that Eric Halla filled in admirably this year, but I think as we saw in the postseason, I don't know if you can win in the postseason with a guy like Eric Halla as your two C. Again, I think he has value and he deserves pl- plenty of credit for how he played, but. I don't know. I just don't think he's a guy that you want to entrench in that lineup once again going to next season. So if David Krejci is available and he wants to come back, I think that's a guy that you have to target or the Bruins should, you know, definitely give him a call or two or three or four this summer. See if he's willing to come back. Cause not only do I think you, are you going to have that production? I don't think he's also going to break the bank either. And again, whether it's not trading prospects, whether it's not spending, $7 million a year on a guy like Kadri, for example, who's going to be 32 next season. It just makes plenty of sense uh, if you're the Bruins. All right. Next up is Joe Moore, who says, who are the three most likely players gone this off season? Well, uh, I think the one guy that kind of uh, hinges on that question is Bergeron, which I think we've already talked about that. It seems like there's no set clarity, um, but in terms of most likely guys outside of Bergeron, um, I think, you know, definitely a guy like Curtis Lazar, who filled in admirably for the Bruins uh, as a fourth line, uh, you know, solid foot soldier. I think he's going to be one of like many uh, Bruins players who have done very well in that fourth line. It's going to max out his value and cash in with another team. And I think as much as I think Bruins really liked what Lazar brought, um, I think you look at ways to add more youth uh, to this lineup. The easiest way is starting with that fourth line and whether that's, you know, guys like Oscar Steen or Mark McLaughlin or Johnny Beecher uh, freeing up space by letting Lazar uh, go out elsewhere to cash in uh, seems to be a proper move to, I think for the Bruins to take. So I don't think Lazar will be here. I think Felino is a pretty safe bet that based on how, uh, you know, digestible that buyout contract is, um, I think he's the guy that's going to be on the move. And then I think one of uh, Riley or Grizzly, like Santa is a pretty other logical guy that ends up getting uh, shipped out here. 
And if you want to look at maybe some other guys, I think maybe a guy like Craig Smith could be a, a guy that uh, could be sent packing in terms of just the cap space and freeing up uh, a spot in the lineup for, you know, is a guy like Lysel going to be ready? Like as much as I think people were like, all right, Lysel shows anything in training camp, just like stick him in the top six and be good to go. I think if you want to build up his game more, maybe it's starting on the third line and working his way back up because um, he's already going to have kind of the tough road in front of him as a, what, 19-year-old trying to break into the NHL. So if you move Smith, get a return, whether it's draft picks or something else, and you free about $3 million in cap space, and it opens the door for a guy like Lysel to kind of cut his teeth in the NHL, that could be a logical uh, move for the Bruins as well. All right, let's see. Next one's from Bruins fan 93, who says, is there someone from Providence that you see making an impact for the Bruins next year? Well, I think the obvious ones are guys like Oscar Steen and Mark McLaughlin, who already, you know, made pretty solid impressions this year. And whether it's um, Lazar going elsewhere in free agency, uh, Felino getting bought out, or even a guy like Nosek uh, getting dealt for, you know, uh, a low round pick or something like that that could all, all open the door for those guys to kind of set into uh, established roles for this team moving forward. So I look at those two guys, Johnny Beecher is a guy that um, is he going to start the year with the Bruins? I don't think so. Just because I think he needs some time in Providence to, to work on his game, try to draw more offense out of him. Um, again, as one of the things people are down on Beecher and what he can bring to this team in terms of NHL talent, I still think his style of play and how he goes about making an impact uh, fits in well, I think with an NHL role where he'd be a straight line agitating bottom six uh, center. So maybe not the start of the year, but I could see Beecher midway through the season later on in the year uh, first make that, you know, set jump up to the NHL and try to land a spot there. And then whether it's guys like Jack Ashan or even Georgie Merkulov, um, who's the guy the Bruins are pretty high on, who they signed out of Ohio State. Again, I don't know if he's making the team out of camp, but he's a guy that if he runs with the opportunity down in Providence and, and makes a good push, the Bruins are looking internally for help in November, December, January, when either guys are getting banged up or they want to juggle that lineup around. A guy like Merkulov makes plenty of sense. Uh, next one's from Grant Rossi, who says, thoughts on the Bees making an attempt to sign Kadri as a free agent? Um, I think it's one of those things, Grant, where on paper, it does make sense if you look at, like, let's say the Bruins are looking for a 2C. If Kadri's available, um, I'm sure the Bruins are going to kick the tires on him, uh, whether it's his ability to be an impact player. And again, his numbers have spiked this year playing with Colorado, but even, you know, outside of, you know, the system he is in with, uh, with the avalanche, he's still a guy that's going to give you 50, 60 points every year uh, as an agitator plays inside the dots, which I think the Bruins desperately need a guy like that. Um, and again, as much as I think Bruins fans probably view him as a, uh, a villain, or what have you, he's a guy that I think kind of like Brad Marchand, you probably would love to have on your team as long as he doesn't take kind of those, uh, those plays that, take him out of postseason games, which he seems like he's kind of cleaned up his act a little bit. The only issue, of course, is one, get in the cap room, because, you know, even if, especially if Bergeron's back, you have to then move out quite a few contracts to accommodate a guy like uh, Kadri, who I think is going to get, what, at least $7 million annually on his new deal. And again, the, also the risk is, all right, you're trying to build with that next generation. 
Kadri's a very good player, but as I said earlier, he's going to be 32 uh, going into next season. Is that a guy that you want to hand a five-year contract, six-year contract at $7 million annually? I mean, by what year three, he could already be starting to decline uh, pretty heavily. So definitely something you have to weigh if you're the Bruins. Um, let's see. I guess we'll get uh, one or two more in here uh, from Joe Travia who says, if Cassidy does in fact get fired, big if, who are your top three most likely guys to replace him? Whew. Well, knowing the Bruins logic, I'd imagine they'd probably first look internally. Of course, that's what they always do at a guy like Joe Sacco, who Bruins played pretty well when he was uh, on the bench during that stretch where Cassidy was out with, uh, with COVID. Um, I could see them maybe looking at a guy like Jay Leach, who's out in Seattle right now, who seemed to be a logical kind of that next man up. If a few years down the road, the Bruins wanted to move on from Cassidy, a guy like Leach, who's been in the system for a while, a younger guy, set a really good track record with Providence. He would seem to be like that heir apparent until he then went to Seattle last year. So I think he could be a guy you look at. And then there's kind of one of the many free agents, uh, coaches out there on the market now, whether it's Barry Trotz, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Rick Tockett would be a guy they would look at. A lot of people talk about John Tortorella, which, again, would be quite the departure from Bruce Cassidy in many ways. But also, I don't know if a guy like Tortorella, who I think can get a lot out of, you know, an older veteran team in terms of a buy-in. If you're starting to retool or rebuild and you're adding guys like Lysel or these guys, I don't know if a guy like Tortorella, who's pretty hot on younger players especially, kind of fits that system, especially – if you get a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who would not be thrilled if he comes back uh, from the tundra of Winnipeg, goes to Boston, and John Torella is there waiting for him. Wouldn't work out too well. So uh, we'll see. I still think Cassidy's going to be back uh, to start this upcoming season, but based on Cam Neely's comments, does seem like uh, he doesn't have uh, a lot of rope in terms of uh, you know getting off to a quick start here. Um, and I guess maybe one more. We'll, we'll end with this one from Grisberg who says, how do you feel about signing Philip Forsberg? Um, well, Philip Forsberg is a fantastic player to watch. He's uh, an impact guy, will give you automatic offense. But I, I think if you're the Bruins, as much as a guy like Forsberg is very, very tempting, if you have the cap room, which again, easier said than done. If it's between him or a guy like Kadri, again, Forsberg is more dynamic and younger, but you need to start uh, allocating talent towards the middle of the lineup, right? You can't be like the Golden Knights uh, and just thrive off of, you know, mediocre centers and just load up on the wing. Uh, sooner or later, you just need talent down the middle. So as much as I think Forsberg would be fantastic here, the Bruins highlight reel would be uh, chock full of highlights from a guy like him, especially next to a guy like Pasternak, Um I still just don't think it makes a lot of sense in terms of what the Bruins should be prioritizing uh, this offseason, which at the very least, regardless of whichever direction they go, retool, rebuild, you need more talent on the middle. So I could see them probably passing on a guy like Forsberg, especially considering uh, you're going to have to pay up quite a bit uh, to get him. And uh, yeah, we're starting to run low on time. So I think that we're going to cut it there. Uh, again, thank you to everyone for sending along these questions. Uh, if we miss any of them, I'm sure we're going to have a couple other mailbags uh, later on in this offseason. Again, we've got a long way to go until we get to training camp. So uh, if you have any more questions, I'm sure we'll uh, send out more uh, you know, broadcasts to, to send in more questions. So feel free to send those things along. 
And again, yeah, if you guys want to read anything uh, over at BSJ, it'd be greatly appreciated. Pretty much every day uh, during the summer, we're going to have all the latest breakdowns, whether it's uh, report cards, which we're working on now, uh, free agent targets, uh, who the Bruins should be looking at in trades, uh, you know, trade targets, all those things will be over at bostonsportsjournal.com. So please subscribe at BSJ. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. All right. That does it for episode 97 of the Poke the Bear podcast. Thank you guys and have a great weekend.